Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial serving the new york metropolitan area spreading the truth of the Catholic faith. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. And we'd also ask you if you'd like to help Joe and I out on social media, we have our Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. If you could like, subscribe, share, there's even a function where you could throw in a $5 monthly donation. I hope I'm not being too bold there. And today, we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Carter Griffin, and we're going to be discussing his new book, Cross-Examined, Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. That sounds weighty to me, Joe Restinello. That sounds like a conversation we have to have at the front line with Joe and Joe, and that's why we're having it. Just a quick bio on Father Griffin. He is a priest of the Archdiocese of Washington, a graduate of Princeton University, a former line officer in the United States Navy. He obtained his doctorate in theology from the Pontifical University of the Holy Cross in Rome. After serving at St. Peter's Parish on Capitol Hill in 2011, he was assigned to the newly established St. John Paul II Seminary in Washington, D.C., where he now serves as rector. He is the author also of Why Celibacy? Reclaiming the fatherhood of the priest. Father, we're going to have to have you back to talk about that one. That's another important topic. And very quickly, this is what uh, Dr. Ralph Martin, uh, you all know Ralph Martin out there. Dr. Ralph Martin had to say about uh, Father Griffin's book, quote, a very reliable and clear guide to some very important questions. This book makes an important contribution to resolving the confusion about truth that has so weakened the lives of so many Catholics, closed quote. Father Carter Griffin, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Father, would you lead us with prayer, uh, with some prayer before we get into uh, the conversation? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you to send your spirit into our hearts, into our lives, especially into all of those who listen uh, to the show. We ask that this may be a time in which we can glorify you and come to a deeper love and appreciation for the beautiful truth of the Catholic faith. And we ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Father. Father, we talk to a lot of people um, on the show, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, when I read your bio, um, I know you're affiliated with the St. Paul Center. I read the people that um, are supporting your book, like Dr. Ralph Martin, who we have had on this show. Uh, and I say this, uh, I think God has chosen you to do something great. I'm, I'm not just saying that. Reading your background, I would not be shocked. I said this to Joe before the show, that you are, will one day be a bishop. Um, honest to God. And I feel that, and we're honored to speak with you because you will uh, influence many and you'll influence us. Uh, so we're very grateful that you're on this program with us. Um, I wanted to say that because I really see that like with somebody like yourself, you're very gifted. And this book, I think, will bring a lot of light to uh, our country, and we need that right now. So I want to jump right into it. Um, basically, um, why did you feel like you had to write this book? I mean, clearly our social norms um, and the political movements that are going on in America right now, um, they're just off the wall. I mean, like, are Catholics equipped to face these challenges? Because to be honest with you, I mean, I was educated in the Catholic faith uh, my whole life. I went to Catholic school, so did Joe. I don't know if they are, <laughs> to be honest with you. So please talk about that a little bit. Thanks, Joe. I, you know, I mean, I <laughs> appreciate the kind words. I certainly hope you're wrong. And please don't <laughs> stuff happens to me. <laughs> so it's like, um, yeah, I... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of Catholics are starting to kind of get it. You know, I mean, I think that there is I mean, shows like yours, people like you 
are examples of that, um, that people are starting to sort of see the, the need for a more um, intentional engagement with this culture that seems to be just off the rails uh, and going further away from kind of reality, from normalcy, from kind of just common sense. Um, and so I, I think that especially in our country, I think we're blessed to be uh, in this great country in which a lot of Catholics are kind of waking up and realizing it. Now, having said that, um, it's clearly not a majority, not even close to a majority, um, and we have a lot of work to do, uh, let alone with people who are not Catholic, and let alone people in other countries. Um, but there is, in every country, as is always the case, there's still 11, uh, there's still a kind of a, a faithful small group, maybe which can serve as a, uh, as a source of renewal and conversion for, for others, and this is how the, how the Lord has worked through the centuries, um, and I think that's no less true today. I mean, I think that with all of the, you mentioned kind of the social norms and the political movements and, and all of that that's changing our country and our culture, uh, the first thing, and, and this will probably be a little bit of a, of a broken record over the course of the show here, but I mean, I really do think because we're talking about this book on apologetics, that we realize that it, how important that is um, and where it fits in, but it is only a piece of a larger whole. Uh, and that unless we are personally living authentic lives and are personally, you know, engaging and, and, and corresponding to grace and, and frankly becoming saints, um, then all the rest is kind of, it, it, it just doesn't work. You know, it, it becomes kind of the clattering symbols uh, that St. Paul speaks about. So we need to have that intellectual formation. We need to have a formation in apologetics. And I truly believe that, um, but, it, but it can't be the whole uh, unless we're personally engaged. That's what's really going to change the hearts and minds of our, of our fellow Americans. I think that um, along the lines of what you said, Father Carter Griffin, who's joining us in the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe and I said that from the beginning um, when we started this about three years ago at, with the prompting of, of a good priest that we know said, hey man, you, got, you guys got to do this, okay? Um, is that, let's see how to put this. If we're not cleaning up our own house, what we Joe and I always allude to is if you're not praying every day, if you're not uh, doing what the church says, you know, Mother Mary told the guests at the wedding feast, do what he tells you. We're called to do what the church says, not like, you know, little, little children, right? But to listen to the church, understand her teachings, and then, yes, live that out. Father, if I tell you in my experiences, a lot of people know I'm outspokenly Catholic. I don't wear it on the sleeve, but when people ask me questions, I, I certainly engage them in a truth way. That really has a positive effect on people, especially since they know my life. Uh, they, they know my wife. They know the type of life we're trying to live and live the sacramental life, live the Catholic faith. People respond to that. And you know what? That, to me, Father, is a muscular Catholicism. Not muscular in some machismo way. Muscular in a very strong way when you say, hey, I'm living the faith. I know what it is. I'm trying my best. When I fail, I go to Christ in the Eucharist, in the, in the confessional, and we keep, keep it moving forward. If we don't do that, Father, we're toast. And, you know, I think one of the reasons why you're convincing is because they already know you personally, and they know the kind of life that you're trying to live. And that's where that kind of that fundamental, so not only does holiness give us a kind of credibility just because the gra grace will accompany our words, you know, when Jesus sent the apostles out two by two, and then Jesus went behind them, you know, and it was this, this beautiful St. Thomas Aquinas talks about that as like an image of what happens when the preacher, you know, he preaches and he opens the doors, but then Jesus and his grace follows him behind us. Uh, and that's true for every Catholic, you know, to have that that personal, authentic witness, um, and 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 realize that it's uh, that at the same time as you as you just said, you know, we have to have that that you would call muscular or confident Catholicism. And I think one of the reasons, actually, for studying apologetics is not just and not primarily um, to kind of whatever kind of come up with the arguments to explain why the church teaches what she does. Certainly, that's part of it. But a big part of studying apologetics and studying uh, sort of the deeper reasons, the rationality, the inner logos of the faith is so that we become confident, you know, that, that yes, this is true. And, and it helps us because I think a lot of Catholics out there aren't that um, kind of confident in, in sharing the faith because they themselves are not that confident in the faith themselves, you know, and, and if you're not really convinced yourself, how are you really going to be able to convince others? So I think the personal witness of life, as well as that confidence that comes from understanding the faith, including the inner rationale for the faith, are both really important to, to moving ahead here. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Father. Joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Father Carter Griffin. Joe, I'm going to hang, uh, hand it over to you. Father, I want to get directly, uh, uh, what's it called, engaged with your book itself. Um, basically, I think it's unique because you begin each discussion not with a Catholic teaching, but rather the most common objectives to it. 
Why did you take that approach? I mean, it's it's a little different. And I think that's a good thing because people have to have these type of answers because we're faced with them. I mean, we all know that the church is the same yesterday, today, and in the future. Um, but in many ways, uh, people, when they're faced with these dilemmas uh, of like, why, you know, uh, should we not use contraception? Why can't we be engaged in um, IVF? You know, these are things that are being said and talked about in the public square. We don't know, not only don't we know the answers, but frankly, we don't know the teaching behind the answers. So you're putting the objectives first. Why did you take that approach? And talk a little bit about uh, dissecting that uh, that model for us. Sure. And, and it really, it's, it's obviously nothing that I came up with. It's an ancient uh, approach to dealing with uh, with theological questions in particular, uh, kind of the scholastics use this a lot and um, uh, much more you know, <laughs> extensively and deeply than I do. But just the basic idea is that, yeah, you start with the objections. You said all these different things. Why, why somebody might disagree or commonly disagree with the church's teaching on topic X. And then you go through the Catholic teaching, what the church teaches, and then you respond to those objections. And it, it offers... Um, there are a lot of reasons for doing that. I, I personally did. I didn't intend to have a book written about this stuff, by the way. I, uh, I work at a seminary, as you know, and I've been working there for now uh, 11 years. And, and when we started uh, the seminary, we were just convinced that an important part of formation for future priests is that they receive a good formation in apologetics. And as I was engaging with them, it was very clear that a lot of them needed to begin with, why are we doing apologetics to begin with? A lot of them may be grown up in very Catholic environments, Catholic families, and they hadn't really processed why somebody might even disagree with us. And so to start with that and explain, well, these are a lot of reasons why, why, why smart people can, can flat out disagree with us on this teaching. And let's start with those and be as aggressive and as honest as we can about them. And then you go through the Catholic teaching and then you respond to them. It gives a much more well-rounded approach to the Catholic, to the, to the Catholic position, to the Catholic faith. Uh, as I said, it inspires confidence. Um, it also shows respect for those who disagree with us. You know, we live in this age where it just seems like anybody who disagrees with me must be either stupid or evil. <laughs> and it's just not necessarily true. There are very well-meaning people out there who disagree with us. Um, there are very smart people out there who disagree with us. And it's let's, let's show respect and show them, even if that is not reciprocated, we can still show them the respect because we have that confidence that what we offer is, in fact, the Catholic truth. Uh, and, the and, and the depth of the Catholic faith. So I think leading the way in that sort of conversation is so, so important as well. I, so there are a lot of reasons for it, but those are those are some of them anyway. I also want to yeah, talk about infused knowledge, Father. I'm sorry to cut you off, Joe. No, no, that's fine, Joe. Because I think like our, our church teaches us, you know, the closer we get to God, I think there is a certain amount of infused knowledge guidance. And I think that's sometimes lacking. I mean, I'll give you a, like a story about that. I remember one time as a young man, I was a lector. And to be honest, I was still kind of like reading on my own gathering, you know, the truths of the faith. And I was behind the altar. And sadly, the priest didn't clean the chalice, and there was precious blood in it. And I knew enough to drink it. It was in me. Like I, I knew that that was not, and I was young. Like, so there's something about infused knowledge that the closer we get to God, we have answers. We don't have to be like intellectuals. Talk a little bit about that as far as, I mean, obviously, you know, there is a lot of intellectual like formation that one needs with apologetics, but the infused knowledge, I think, can be there for those who aren't, say, you know, highly educated. Well, certainly everyone who is uh, is baptized uh, receives the gifts of the Holy Spirit and strengthened again at confirmation. One of those gifts is knowledge, and we can have, um, I mean, infused knowledge, there's kind of a lot of uh, weight around that term, but I mean, it's just like that, that almost that instinct of the faith, you know, the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this moment, which is why sometimes, you know, you can have a conversation with somebody who maybe has an eighth grade education, and they have a lot more wisdom and a lot more kind of depth to what they're saying and, and insights into things than somebody with two PhDs, you know, because somebody can have a lot of knowledge and intellectual kind of formation and background, but still not be wise. Uh, and really trying to be, uh, I think, as you said, as we draw closer to Christ, the, the more wisdom we actually receive, the more instinct we have, you know, for the faith. The difficulty is that for somebody who has received a lot of educational formation, as most Americans have, um, we have to be able to engage at that level, too. 
So it can't just be kind of, well, this is what the instinct of the faith, what the movement of the Holy Spirit has directed me to. We have to be able to address their questions and their objections as they are to kind of what, you know, one of the reasons for apologetics, I believe, is not so much convincing as breaking down barriers. It's breaking down prejudices. You know, I, I always loved uh, the, the Fulton Sheen quote, you know, the great Fulton Sheen. And he said, there are not over a hundred people in the United States who hate the Catholic Church. There are millions, however, who hate what they wrongly to believe what they wrongly believe to be the Catholic Church, you know. And so I think just breaking down some of those prejudices um, is a way, and and we have to do that at an intellectual level. So it's absolutely yeah. true that individual believers may have some of these insights, but at the same time, we have to be able to engage people where they are too. So I think it's both and. Father Carter Griffin joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Resinello on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we are discussing Father's new book, um, Cross-Examined Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. Father, I couldn't agree with you more. One of, one of the biggest disappointments since when I got back to the church, and I just want to comment real quick on what you and Joe both said. In my view, I know God works in so many ways. I see it where if you're close to the sacraments, if you're close to prayer, you will have that knowledge that Joe alluded to, and I think that the Holy Spirit will guide you to understand the faith more. So on the one hand, you have the movement of the soul um, through the sacraments, through, through the grace, and then God will guide you to Father Carter Griffin's book and Dr. Ralph Martin and those out there because that you'll have that thirst to want to deepen your knowledge of the faith. What I would say is this. Um, I don't know which way to go. Father, um, because let's say for argument's sake, you were talking about Catholic apologetics. I've always been very upset, by the way, at the fact that the Protestants did an infinitely better job at uh, at arguing down the bullies, the bullies, uh, Dawkins, Dennett, Hitchens, and Harris. Okay, going back, remember they hit their height about 15 years ago. Hitchens died. They kind of waned, but they got a lot of pushback. I think that's why their star fell, because people, guess what, started to hear a counter argument. My problem is, where's the Catholic Church? You know, I think Cardinal Pell, he, he, he debated Richard Dawkins once. It's always, you know, Protestants doing it. We need to do a much better job. Now, that's what you call aggressive atheism, but here's my point. Okay, the apologetics is there. We have to be able to engage these people, debate these people, even though they're intellectual bullies, okay? Not that they're intellectual, but they're intellectual bullies. Uh, but nowadays, Father, I'm going to give you an example. I'm moving to Arizona, okay? Uh, the Satanists, they want to they wanna consecrate Scottsdale, Arizona to Satan, make it the capital, satanic capital of the world. Now it goes beyond, I'm asking your opinion on this and what you would suggest, because now it goes beyond apologetics. Now it's, okay, how do we lovingly, charitably, respectfully get out into the street and say, hell no? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, um, going back to your, your point about the Protestants and kind of some of those debates, I absolutely think you're right, you know, that, that, that Catholics have been great about sort of the, the, the um, kind of the deeper apologetics, the book-based apologetics, you know, I mean, I think there's nothing, this is kind of the golden age of apologetics, actually, in the Catholic Church in so many ways, I and mean, so many great apologists out there, and, and I, I'm not among them, you know, and, uh, and to recognize that we've been really blessed with that. In terms of the, the, the sort of the verbal debates, um, you know, the, 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 I think we need to be out there. We need to be doing those things. The struggle is whether those actually are that effective, you know, and, and if they're, I, I think they can be effective. Um, they can also turn people off, you know, and I know that some people go to these debates and they sort of hit the button, we know which one won or whatever, and occasionally the Christian will win, usually the atheist does. Does it really, in fact, lead someone deeper into their atheism, further away from Christ, or does it actually draw them closer? I think it's an open question, uh, mm -hmm. but I just, I, I make that point only because it may not be a lack of courage. It may be that really the Catholic faith, which is so much more kind of, I think, beautiful and integrated and harmonious and nuanced. And, you know, it's just so much deeper than just kind of this blunt, kind of the blunt force object of like God exists and the atheist is wrong. Um, there's a lot more to the tradition than there is in most Protestant uh, kind of versions of Christianity. It doesn't, you know, there's just, there's just a lot more history and a lot, a lot more depth to it. And frankly, uh, it's the fullness of the truth. So I think that might be part of the reason there, but I, it's, I, I still take your point. And, you know, when it comes to like, when you're dealing with not just atheism, but actually like Satanists, um, I mean, there were, there were, now we're entering into the place of spiritual warfare of the, at the deepest level. Obviously much of atheism is in fact reinforced and sponsored by uh, demonic elements. Um, but, but when you're talking about, you know, a group out there of actual Satanists, I mean, the first thing obviously needs to be getting on our knees and doing penance, right? I mean, that's always how we begin uh, this kind can only be ejected by prayer and fasting. So we have to start there, as always, begin with ourselves. 
Um, but yeah, in terms of like even even kind of whatever the public ramifications might be of that. I mean, sometimes they want to be able to use public funds for different things. They want to be able to use public, you know, arenas. They want to be out there in a public square. And if we're not out there showing people that uh, this is not just to be taken, you know, as kind of the the the, the norm, um, then we have set we have set a very disedifying example, you know. And a, my hope is that in Scottsdale or whatever it might be, that there would be a very strong public uh, demonstration of faith. A prayerful demonstration, loving, careful demonstration, but at the same time, visible and public. Um, and that, that we need to do a little bit more confidently, I think, moving forward. I'm going to, I'm going to be out there, Father, like I said, I, I'm moving. Okay. And February 11th through the 13th um, is when Bishop Navarez, I believe it's Bishop Navarez, Jesse Romero, and others are going to be doing exactly what you just said. Great. And, 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 and I, I liken it, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Um, I liken it to, you know, pr prayer for being prayerful in front of an abortion clinic, okay, Definitely. while a good priest is walking around the building exercising the place, okay? What's our job? To punch the pro-choice people in the face? No, it's to pray to ro rosary, to I pray, pray, pray. You may have heard the story of Cardinal, um, um, uh, the Cardinal in New York, and, and when, they, when there were some protesters in the congregation, you know, halfway through his homily, and they thought that they were going to sort of throw the whole thing off. And he just calmly pulls, pull, you know, reaches into his cassock pocket, pulls out his rosary and says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, starts to pray the rosary. And everyone, everyone was praying the rosary in the church. And it was this very graphic demonstration of the calm peace of the people all on their knees praying the rosary. And these violent, agitated, angry people up there shouting. And eventually the shouts just got less and less and less and they just departed. You know, Our Lady was victorious. And she always is, you know, and mm -hmm. like, we can't fight this fight. I mean, this has we have to bring in the big guns for this, you know, starting with Our Lady and St. Michael, you know, and the other saints. I mean, if, if we're not thinking that way, then we're not thinking smart. We're entering into a battle with, you know, without without ammo. I mean, and nobody yeah. does that. We're, we're, bringing, we're bringing the knife, the proverbial knife to the gunfight. <laughs> I think that's a great story because God, does, God does everything. You know, like sometimes we forget that. Um, we need to be reminded of it. Um, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about Catholic education. Um, I went to Catholic school, um, Catholic high school, Catholic college, Catholic graduate school. But I came from a blue-collar home. My dad was a barber. Joe's father was a teamster. Um, no longer are those type of families able to send their kids to Catholic school. I have five kids, and to be honest with you, I can afford to send them to Catholic school. Um, it's going to be, I will be impoverished. There's no, and you know, my wife and I are open to life. I will be impoverished. There is no question about that. But the thing is, we got to talk about forming. I think some of this stuff, you know, when you talk to older folks in the church in America, they were formed better. Like my mom, she knows not to go up to receive the Eucharist if you're not in a state of grace. I can remember when my aunt died, my brother, who's outside the church, was going to walk up and she was just like, oh, no, Matthew. Like in a nice way, as only a mother can, you know, like, like how do we better form our youth? Because I think it's that's why i invest in catholic education so it's how do we better do it but also make it available like if you're going to be a plumber you still should be able to go to catholic school it's not just people who are going to go to like a fancy college like you know boston college or or you know lehigh or notre dame, or, or notre dame. it's it's because we're i think the focus is on achievers as opposed to crafting saints you know i have friends that are bartenders but we went to catholic school together his soul's just as important as mine you know just because i have a professional job who cares talk about that because i think it begins at the at the at the bottom parts the rosary teaching them young what does the church teach how can we do it better and make it more available yeah i mean this is uh, in some ways it's a six million dollar question right how do we actually with especially with the departure of the of, of, of the religious sisters that that in, in, a, in a in a major way made schools much more affordable um, and just everything is more, you know, I mean, th this is part of a larger question also, like the affordability of living and sort of cost of living, um, the double income families, the whole thing. So there's a lot of cultural and social things that can, you can get into in this conversation, but to kind of narrow it down to maybe something more specific to our topic, you know, I think a couple of things. Um, the first thing is Catholic schools have to, good Catholic schools have to remember something you just said, 
you know, their primary focus is not on academic excellence. I hope they are academic excellent, and they should, um, and they should be. Their primary focus is on on forging saints, right? If their if their goal is not every child coming out of this Catholic or not Catholic is is could be on his road towards sanctity, and frankly, those who are not Catholic, you know, there should be conversions. Uh, I was just talking to a priest last night, and you know, he was talking about his school, and he was very proud of it, justifiably proud of it, um, that a number of the kids had you know, the, not Catholic, had, had received some formation in his school, went home, and now the parents are in RCIA. You know, like, that's what Catholic schools need to be doing. Uh, and many of them are doing it, and all of them can do it. So I think the first thing is, like, getting our priorities straight about what Catholic schools are for. Um, I think another important thing is, I think we, we underestimate how early we need to be doing serious intellectual formation for these kids. They are confronted with their cousins and their family members and their buddies from public school and everyone else. They are confronted with everything that is going to try to convince them out of becoming Catholic. And if we're not equipping them early on to be able to deal with that and have confidence in the Catholic faith, we're going to lose them before the ninth grade. You know, this idea that we'll, we'll start serious Catholic education and, you know, forming these things in, in college, that's too late. High school's too late. You know, there's a there's a there's a there's a high school in Southern Maryland here called Riken High School, and they just did an awesome job with philosophy and theology. They've got a bunch of kids who are seminarians and now priests, religious sisters, great families, moms and dads, um, and they start philosophy education in the ninth grade. You know, and they're getting so right out of eight, right out of middle school, um, they're starting with rigorous philosophy. A very dynamic teacher, John Olin, and uh, you know, and and they're just and they're and they're going gangbusters down there. And it didn't take that much. There's a priest who's very engaged in the life of the of the, of the of the community, uh, and they start forming these guys early. Um, and I think just maybe one last point, and that is that if we are thinking Catholic schools are going to be able to replace parents, we're wrong. You know, that we have to be, that the formation also has to be, I mean, the, the primary formators, the primary educators of children are parents. It's never going to be the school. Some kids who go through, you know, and don't receive any formation at home can still be saved in a Catholic school. But that, we can't see that as the norm, right? And so, so a very aggressive kind of plan and pastoral plan on the part of priests and and maybe mentor parents, older older people, you know, older married couples, um, you know, forming these young parents to, 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 to parent well, uh, practically in all the ways that parents need to learn how to parent well anyway, but also how do you create an environment in which children are going to find virtue attractive, are going to desire to be Catholic, are going to desire to be saints, and desire to find God's plan for them. You know, that culture of like, let the excitement of figuring out what God has in store for you, whatever that might be. So I think all of those might be pieces of this larger puzzle that you're talking about, Joe, which is just a, just a great question. Yeah, Father Carter Griffin joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello on the Veritas Catholic Network. Cross-examined Catholic responses to world questions. Father, I want to uh, just comment on something, but very quickly, if you don't mind, uh, and we'll mention it again later, where can uh, our audience members find your book and more, more of what you do? Well, thank you. Yeah, no, Cross-Examined can be found anywhere. You know, books can be found. Amazon has it. I, I encourage people to go straight to the St. Paul Center, that wonderful uh, outfit begun by Scott Hahn and others. Uh, where it's published from in Mayas Road, and to purchase it directly from them, uh, if possible. Um, and my own work right now is a little bit more hidden. I'm the rector of a seminary, and so I don't have a whole lot of an online presence. Um, but I, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here with you guys. I think every I think everybody out there should should pray to Almighty God that that we have seminary. You know, those who are running the seminaries, like Father Carter Griffin, because then we know our priest class is going to be formed properly in the faith. And and Father, I'll tell you right now, Joe and I are not bishop bashers and priest bashers but there is a lack of formation also in the seminary um if you don't mind in a minute or so before we take a break can you maybe comment on that a little bit and what more uh seminary leaders could do sure yeah i mean and i think that catholics would be very pleasantly surprised if they were able to take a tour of seminaries today i think oftentimes seminaries today are really being judged on seminaries 30 years ago or 40 years ago or even 20 years ago tremendous improvements have been made i'm very blessed to be with a lot of other uh, just just great priests who are forming and meeting others at other seminaries. It's not perfect, it never has been, never will be, um, but the strength of the seminary system, like Dunwoody and other places, you know, uh, are just, they're just very solid. There's some very solid formation going on. Like I say, we still have a long way to go, but begun with St. John Paul II, with Pastorius Talbovobis, really gave the blueprint for what is a good, healthy seminary formation, and the places that are following it are, are doing well, and they're putting out really great faithful priests. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that after... Uh, after the break there because absolutely joe we'll get into that right after the break okay um so you're listening to the front line with joe and joe joe pasillo joe resinello being joined 
by Father Carter Griffin, and we are discussing his new book, Cross-Examined Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. Do not buy the book on Amazon. Buy it on St. Paul Center. When we have an author on the show, go to the publisher. Don't put money in Jeff Bezos' pocket. Please, he's got enough of it. Anyway, uh, you're listening to us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Don't go anywhere. We're going to come right back for another half hour with Father Carter Griffin. Hey, listen to all five of our original Veritas shows. Every Wednesday at noon, you can catch Let Me Be Frank, where Bishop Frank Caggiano talks about spirituality, church news, and fun stories from his Brooklyn childhood and his life. You can hear The Frontline with Joe and Joe every Tuesday and Thursday at noon. Their guests include the biggest names in the Catholic world, and Joe and Joe talks to them from the perspective of the everyday Catholic. Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, tune in for the only late-night talk show on Catholic media anywhere. It's Not That Late with Liv Harrison. And at noon on Friday is Restless. It's four millennials talking about, well, life as millennials in today's crazy world. Yes, it's possible to be young and Catholic. Right after that, at 12.30, you can hear the Focus on Veritas, where we put the focus on good works and the good people doing those works. Those are the five Veritas shows, and there's more on the way. Stay up to date at VeritasCatholic.com or on the mobile app. Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Network with Father Carter Griffin discussing his new book, Cross Examine Catholic Responses to World Questions. We encourage you to go on to uh, the St. Paul Center and buy the book there, read the book. Um, it's something, it's, it's, it's a lot of confusion out there, Joe Resinello. A lot of confusion. Father Carter Griffin has written a book that clears away some of that fog in this war that we're in. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. I just want to pick up uh, just shortly what we were talking about on the other side of the break regarding the the, the uh, improvement in the seminaries. And I would agree with you, Father. I mean, uh, uh, Pope John Paul uh, II, basically, I think they call it the JP2 generation, changed like the profile of, of clergy. I think that there will be a springtime when these men come up we're going to see a change. I, I really, because I see it with the, the orders and with the young priests coming out. Um, but what I also see, um, and again, we're boots on the ground. I mean, there are parishes by me, some are orthodox, some are not. I mean, it should be all the same. I mean, like, how are these priests who are coming out of seminaries like your own, they're going to go into like, you know, the public square. And frankly, there are people who they're just not having it like 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 at all. They don't want to hear about abortion. They don't want to hear about receiving in the state of grace. Now, these are standard teachings of the church. I mean, I'll share with you. I mean, I taught RCIA. I was asked to leave. I taught it. I father my hand up right from the catechism, right from JP2's catechism, 1992. I was asked to leave. People would talk about primacy of conscience. I'm like, where is it in the document? I mean, like the document speaks for itself. I always say, like, I didn't go to the Gregorian. I do know how to read. It's not in the document. <laughs> Bye, Joe. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? So, like, how are these priests going to be received? Because they're going into it. Well, Jesus did not promise the rose garden. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would, I would, I would say a few things. First of all, um, Places like the that like the parish you were just talking about, the RCIA program, those are not going to live. They're not going to survive. It's sterile, right? When you're not connected to the vine, you know, you're not going to survive. You're not going to blossom. You're not going to produce fruit. And we're seeing that already. Um, the schools that are vibrantly Catholic are succeeding. Those that are not, they become kind of ordinary secular schools with a Catholic veneer. Um, places that are vibrantly Catholic, vibrantly um, kind of serious about the faith, are going to be the ones who who survive in the future. So these young guys, including seminaries, by the way, um, but Catholic colleges, Catholic high schools, Catholic grade schools. Um, I, I mean, they're it's uh, the kids coming into seminary today are 
are extraordinarily generous. They're courageous. I think they're they're obviously orthodox. They're not interested. And in, I mean, I don't know, and I don't know a heterodox seminary. I'm sure there's one out there. I just haven't met them yet. Um, you know, I know diocesan seminaries better. I know that religious orders are a little bit more diverse right now still. And I, I'm just talking about Americans. You know, I mean, I realize other countries are maybe a little bit not not quite uh, along the same path that we've we've come down yet. Um, they're interested in, in beauty and adoration and beautiful liturgy, um, but they also have some of the struggles of their generation, you know, and one of those is, is a struggle to make commitment and a struggle to be, to be, to persevere, you know, and to be, and, and to be, and to be strong in the midst of, of some of these challenges. And so I have the same concern you do, Joe, you know, when they go into the parish and if they don't receive the support that they, you know, had in the seminary and that they hope to get in the parish, um, that it might be very difficult for them. We need to be praying for them, supporting them, you know, and, and also to recognize that there are so, even, even in the parishes where there might be some of that kind of nonsense going on, there's still going to be some really good people there. There's good people everywhere, you know, sure. and, and for them to find those people, those families who will support them and love them through that, I think without it becoming a, I don't mean it being like a crutch or replacement in celibacy or something like that, but, but just that you, we, we need to have that affirmation. We need to have that, those relationships and, and lay people, deacons, others, and, and older priests who are faithful can, can be a huge, it can be a huge part of that. Um, you know, I think that that it's there is there is still we, we have to believe that people have a deep yearning and a craving for the truth. And I'm firmly convinced that when I've gone to even places where I you know people say, well, it's kind of crazy there or whatever. But you preach the truth in love uh, and with clarity and with seriousness and with personal conviction. Um, I mean, I yeah, sometimes you know, people have walked out in the middle of the homily or whatever, but it's pretty rare. You know, I think people are, are if you do it right, people are ready to receive. Uh, especially those who are courageous enough still to be going to church these days, right? So increasingly, we're going to have the people there who are ready if we do it well. I, I, I think that's exactly right, Father. And everybody I've listened to in the last 20 years in my journey, both away from the church and back to the church, is when I started to dig deep, um, it always seems to me, and I don't know why this is hard for people to get through their head, the more confident you use the word confident father i use the word muscular robust any of these words. the more we are of those things that's the magnet the more we're not those things people say why should i be catholic and you can't blame them right if 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 the, if the catholics homily okay sounds no different than the evangelical preacher down the block okay and he's telling you, hey, listen, once saved, always saved. You could, I know I'm caricaturing it a little bit, but once saved, always saved. You could just do what you want and go straight to heaven. Okay. Well, I'm gonna go over there. So, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to put, put put blame on anybody, but one thing I want to address, I'm gonna hand it back over to Joe because you want to talk maybe about so you could clarify Father Carter Griffin joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe, some some individual issues, maybe our audience uh wants to hear about. Um in fact, you know what? Let's uh, let's do that. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I'll hold my yeah. question for a little bit. You know, Father, I'll be true with you because I think these are important issues, and we'll talk ab about a few of them. But the reason why I embraced my faith at 22 years old because I realized my way doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I do a lot of what the church teaches. I'm open to life. Um, you know, my wife and I pray the rosary. I rely on the sacraments because I know who I am, and I also know that – if I continue to be me, I'm a mess, a mess. <laughs> but the world doesn't see it that way, Father. I mean, I live just to give you, you know, it's a suburb of New York City. It's middle class. Everyone's Italian, Irish, Polish. Um, they're Catholic. No one goes to church. Why? They don't see the efficacy. See, I cling to the church because I know I'm done. I'm done. And... That's where I think, like, we have to explain, like, take contraception, for instance. Americans contracept, even the best Catholics. Your, your marriage is in sacramental. And I'll just be honest with you. I got my 82-year-old mother living with me. I have five kids under seven in a small cape in my house. If my marriage is in sacramental, we're done done <laughs> but people don't understand they don't like and that means if i'm contracepting it's not it's not sacramental talk about let's talk about contraception because i think this is something that americans just think it's perfectly fine they embrace this americanism that this is a valid approach to marriage when it's con it's contrary to the church and frankly it hurts your marriage yeah um let me let me go through a, a back door there because you were just talking about you realize that you couldn't do this on your own, that you needed 
that you needed grace, you needed God in order to live the kind of life that would actually give you true enjoyment, true, true joy, true, true, true satisfaction. And what you were really saying there is, I realized when I was doing it on my own, I wasn't living in, a, in accord with the way that I was meant to live, right? That there's a purpose to my life, that I'm, I'm, a cre I'm a created being, and therefore the creator knows how I'm supposed to live. And if I do that, just like the creator of a car knows if it's supposed to be leaded or, un, or, you know, or diesel or whatever, I mean, unleaded gas or diesel. And uh, if you put the wrong one in there, it's not going to run, run right. And you, and you only know that because the creator told you that. And so we have to know how we're made in order to live the kind of lives we're intended to make. And then we will truly be satisfied. Then we will truly be fulfilled, even if there's suffering, even if it's difficult. And it is difficult sometimes. Just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's wrong. Um, and so you've come to realize that because you've realized how you're made. Now, when we're talking about any of these issues, any of these difficult issues or, 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 or anything really, the first question that we have to ask is, what is it made for? What is it for? What is the purpose? And that, which is called the final cause or teleology or whatever term you want to use, the meaning of things, the purpose of things, that is something that a believer gets that non-believers typically don't, right? And it's a really important distinction between us. Uh, and, and if we can get people to believe that things actually have a purpose, we're 80% of the way there. Right, because once you're there, because then the question becomes, well, what's the purpose of this thing? And so we, as believers, as we think that things have a reason, that there's a purpose, that this is not a meaningless universe spinning through space, you know, randomly. And so when we're talking about sex, which is what you know where contraception falls in, we have to ask the question, what's the purpose? Right, that sex has a reason, and it's not um, just for personal satisfaction or to you know whatever. It's it. There's a reason for, it. and the reason is to be united to somebody of the opposite sex and to be open and having children. And because, why? Because God loves children and he loves us and he wants more of us. He wants a lot of children with him in heaven, right? And so that's why sex, that's why the sex, sexual drive is so strong, right? It's not because it's something bad, it's because it's something awesome and great and beautiful, but it has a purpose. And so respecting that purpose is what contraception is really all about. We can't go in there and, and sort of say, I want this part of sex, but not this part. I'm gonna be in control here. I don't really care what the creator wants. I want this and therefore I'm gonna get it. Contraception is a technology which enables us to do that. That does not lead to real flourishing. It doesn't lead to real happiness. And we see that over and over again, you know, and the couples that aren't using contraception are using the system that God did give us, namely natural family planning. I mean, we see the, the levels of satisfaction and joy and the incredibly low level of divorce and, you know, the way the kids are being raised and all that. It's tough sometimes. I mean, you're talking about a situation in your home, Joe, which is not easy, you know, and, and, and just like we we're talking about the priests going into those parishes, you know, Jesus didn't promise a rose garden, but it is the path to true happiness and to true joy and satisfaction. And when you, you know, please God, decades from now, we're on your deathbed surrounded by your large family, you know, and you're being sent off to heaven with their prayers and their sacrifices, you will say it was all worth it. I, I agree. And, you know, I'm going to point the finger at the families, us. I think, you see, I sometimes think for myself, like, that's the white martyrdom. It doesn't begin at the priesthood. It begins with the family. Yeah. You see, families have to understand that kids have to witness sacrifice. To be a priest, <laughs> you give up a lot. So if you're not used to that, how are you going to make such a decision? It falls to us like married couples, but we have to encounter the Lord. Like it can't be just like an intellectual, like, yeah, Jesus is in the church. Yeah. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm going to go to heaven. Um, no, we have to meet him. And then our eyes open and then we embrace the difficult teachings and then we get more priests and then our church thrives. Joe, you know where the courage comes in there, Father? I just want you to comment on this also, and also on Joe's comment. The, the, the courage that one needs <clears throat> in doing that, excuse me, is that you have to understand in America, it's not only the left that's going to be bothered by that. If you're looking for political solutions or political movements, liberal, conservative, conservatives aren't going to like it too much either. You start talking about the, the, the evil of contraception. Okay, I just wanted to throw that in there so that people are aware. We're this isn't a political conversation. We're talking about a spiritual battle. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you, um, Father Carter Griffin. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. This is not a political issue. It's something that 
what is ninety five percent of Americans, maybe, or I don't know what whatever the percentage is, would say that contraception is not only okay, but it's actually a virtue to use contraception. Yes. You know, it's actually a good thing, um, and that that's not the left, right, center. Uh, and I would just point out one quick thing that you had said, Joe, earlier that about you know that we'd have more priests, and that's true. Um, we'd also have more religious, and we'd have more, we'd have more moms and dads who are ready to carry the and the burdens of that of that beautiful state of life. And we have this sense of like the priesthood has all the sacrifices, and you know, lay people get to have all the fun or whatever. And that's just that's what no one believes that. You know, who believes that? I mean, anyone who's who's married knows how how many challenges, and I would argue probably more challenges, you know, than 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 the priesthood, humanly speaking. The point is that all of us have to carry the cross. And if you don't see that at home, as you're saying, Joe, if you don't see it lived well with joy and confidence and a sense that, yeah, I mean, Jesus is going to give me the grace to carry the cross and he'll give you the grace to carry whatever cross he asks you to carry. And you 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 grow up in that kind of environment, I mean, the skies are level, you know, and and especially if you have the parents who are there and kind of encouraging the kids to have that excited, excited approach to whatever God has in store for them. I think that is the future. I mean, if we can form good children in good families, everything else gets worked out in the end. Well, that's why you're I listening think you're to both, the front I'm line. Sorry, with, you're listening to the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Ross, and all are being joined by Father Carter Griffin on the Veritas, <clears throat> excuse me, Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial. We are discussing his new book, Cross Examine Catholic Responses to the World's Questions. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. I just want to make a quick comment. Father Carter Griffin, Joe and I went on our social media, our next social media show. We're going to be talking about um, Bishop Barron recently wrote an article about uh, the the non- the, the religious or, or the, the spiritual, but not religious. Okay. But he makes a good point. And I think it's important that, that Joe and I be the facilitators, one of the facilitators of people like yourself and many, many others at uh, Ignatius press, St. Paul center. Um, great, great, meaningful, deep Catholic writings because he father Bishop Barron makes a very good point. He says, even though the religion has been watered down over the course of, let's say, the last 70 years or so, whatever it might be, and we see this, there's particularly in Christianity, unfortunately, uh, in parts of the church, okay, these people are still not yet atheists because they still have natural religion and they identify as it. That's, to me, Father, when I hear that, if I'm, if I'm in your position, to me, that's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. That if we're simply boldly proclaiming these, these truths of, this, of the Catholic Church, promoting books like yours, clearing out the fog of war and the spiritual battle, those people will come into the church because they haven't abandoned religion. They're not atheists, okay, according to Bishop Barron. They still have the natural religion. They still identify that way. We need to, lack of a better phrase, we need to scoop them up. Quick comment on that, Father Carter Griffin, then I'm going to hand it over to Joe. I think it's true. I think there is there is a danger in it, though. And the danger is this, that when you are accustomed to sort of thinking of God in a kind of a generic and sort of abstract way, and you're still able to live whatever life you want to live while still holding on to some sense of natural religion, the guy who comes along and says, you know, with strong dogmas and serious teachings and moral teachings that are going to make you change your life, it actually can be harder because you're like, well, I, actually, I'm, I'm kind of doing okay, you know, and, and I, I, I believe in God and I, kind of my way of doing it is, is, is like a whole lot easier than your way of doing it. Whereas sometimes the atheists, I mean, this is all kind of individual person, but sometimes the atheist is so strongly entrenched that when he has a moment and he gets a glimmer, just a glimmer of the truth that God exists and he's real and he loves me and, and that means I'm going to have to change my whole life. Sometimes he's able to make that shift in a, in a way easier than the kind of maybe mediocre or lukewarm, you know, sort of, you know, cradle Catholic or Christian or whatever it might be. So anyway, that I think you're right. I think sometimes we can we have to really tap into that and that on that openness to the truth of God's existence, um, but also to recognize that there are unique, unique challenges with that. Okay, thanks for that, Father Carter Griffin. Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. No, I want to hand talk specifically. I mean, your book touches on things that oh, it's a third rail type of book. That's why we love people like you on our show, because I think we have to be courageous. But ultimately, you said this on the other uh, in the other segment, it's not what's going to change people, ultimately. I mean, our, our, our Pope said this, that you could read all the books in a library, and that's not going to necessarily convince you know, the, the soul to walk into, you're not going to argue them into the Catholic Church. They have to witness good Catholics. Um, I absolutely believe in that. We just spoke with uh, Father Dwight um, down in South Carolina. He just wrote a book. What was it? Hydra, Joe, uh, Beheading Hydra. Hydra yeah. He says the same thing that you're basically saying, and I absolutely agree with that. But it plants a seed. Yeah. It plants a seed. And talk about, 
I mean, we have to encourage people to plant those seeds, but ultimately it's the witness, you know, and I'll use the example of Malcolm Muggridge, brilliant man, went to Oxford, brilliant. He heard all the, the, the arguments. What changed him? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa cleaning up. I, I've been to the home for the dying. I know what that place looks like in Calcutta. You know what strikes me about that story every time you tell that story is that Malcolm Muggridge probably, you know, got drunk with Bertram Russell. You know, you're like, when you think about it, like, like he knew when you say he knew all the atheist argument, he knew the atheists that were was making, the, I guess, the more prominent atheist arguments of the 20th century come from Bertram Russell. But it always strikes me, Joe, because it's like you could see these two Oxford guys sitting there pounding a couple of whiskeys. All right. He's hearing all the other, oh, none of that God stuff. Pour me another one. Right. And then it's Mother Teresa that that converts the guy. Joe, I'm sorry I cut you no, off. No, but, but I talk it, about it's, like it's, a, it's like, an image that struck me. But two things. I mean, your book is important because it plants the seed, but it's just a seed. Um, and people should be encouraged and write these type of books, particularly people in your position. It has to be said, but it's not going to change the hearts. Talk a little bit about that, because I think that's important. Yeah, and maybe I can do it just through the context of my own conversion to Catholicism. You know, when I was, um, I, I mean, I was never really an atheist, but I wasn't a particularly good Protestant either. I mean, I didn't, I, mean, I went to church sometimes on Sundays, um, but I was visiting a, a girl, frankly, that I was, I was kind of, I was, uh, I was interested in, and she was Catholic, and I went to mass just to kind of impress her. <laughs> and, and I remember afterwards, you know, and it wasn't, you know, looking back on it, it was not a particularly kind of beautiful or reverent mass. Um, but there was some there was a there was a power in that mass itself, which is kind of a, a different conversation, but it would, that was sort of interesting. When I spoke to her about it, though, you know, she said something really, which I'll never forget. She said, I don't see how you Protestants do it without the sacraments, you know, and she was just saying, like, in a, in a very simple way, she wasn't being aggressive or anything like that. She's like, I just don't see how you do it. I mean, I, there's no way I could I could I could be a Christian without the sacraments. And that planted a seed in my mind. Um, and then I went to my next door neighbor who I knew was Catholic, but when I was back at, back at school back in college and and he took me to his to his parish priest you know and I went and talked to this guy and and he planted a few more seeds you know and I he had, I had a couple questions for him he gave me some good books to read uh, and I was reading you know Newman and Chesterton and Lewis and all these great you know guys and they were planting more seeds and so what happened is in in a way that was helpful for me these different things were coming at the right time and the holy spirit I'm sure was helping to guide that uh, and they kind of came to fruition over time. I was able on my own then to sort of reflect on them very often in a conversation. You know, people, you know, you get to, you, you know, you see, get, get your Irish up, you know, it's really hard to sort of back down and say, you know what, you're right, I'm wrong. But oftentimes you might have a, you might have a conversation and then later on somebody thinks about it and says, you know, that actually did make a lot of sense, you know, even though I was kind of too proud to say it or I didn't see it at the time. So by having books like this and other awesome books on apologetics, what happens is people have this ability and they just start, they start to soak it in and it has to, has to come from their own. It, it can't just be like parroting what other people have said. We have to make it our own. Like I understand now the church is teaching on contraception and I can explain it in a way that makes sense to me. And when you do that with somebody, even if they have to, a different way that they have to assimilate it, you've planted something in their minds. And I think that the mind, I mean, the reason, just as it's it's too it's it's wrong to kind of overemphasize apologetics and kind of the, the catechesis and so forth, so too is it wrong to underestimate that. We live in a highly sentimental age, sort of an emotivist age, uh, and people are craving for solid food, you know, and something that's going to hold their mind and hold their and give them conviction, uh, and is not just more platitudes from a kind of a secular mindset. You know, they're looking for something solid. And so I think we also shouldn't underestimate the importance of these of this approach to to helping people draw close. I know in my in my own case, I would not be a Catholic today if it weren't for people answering my intellectual questions first, and then allowing the seed of faith to grow deeper, and then of course falling in love and converting. Um, but it had to start from in my case with the mind, and I think a lot of people out there are the same. It, it, would, you, the seed. would you? Yeah. What, what, would, you, would you agree then? Well, I'm sure you would agree with with. with uh, the idea that St. Paul put across and what I try to think about all the time, because Father, listen, when, you, when you're when you a zealous Catholic, you think you're going to change the world. You got to get humbled a little bit by Almighty yeah. God and say, no, 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 you're not changing the world. I'm going to I'm going to change the world, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. Um, but I've, I've always struck because I say, well, I can't get through to that person or or I want to be able to get through to this person, be a friend, family member, co-worker. And I always kept keep in mind what St. Paul said when he said, I have become all things to all men so that I may save some. Okay. I think the approach has to be on an, like Bishop Barron. Sometimes I think, you know, 
Like his approach is, well, I'm just going to focus on the beautiful. Okay, for that person. But we have to become all things for all men. So, and I think that that I think books like yours and others give us who are more, let's say, aggressively in the public square, the tools we need to become all things to all men, to make the argument, let's say, more from beauty, or to make the argument from goodness or morality, to uh, make a philosophical argument, make an argument against contraception in a very clear and decisive way. You got to know your audience, and then you have to be equipped to be able to talk to that person. Do you think that, that I'm right in that assessment? Absolutely, and I think that not only do we have to know our person when we're talking individually, but also know like the different groups when we talk in a, in, a, in a group setting. But I think that the one thing that unites all of us is in fact our capacity to reason. In fact, it's, it's how we define human beings, right? The, the, the rational animal. So, I mean, even though for somebody, maybe beauty is in the eye of the beholder or whatever, beauty doesn't always work with somebody. And I think Bishop Barron would say that too. But, you know, or, or you know, even, even the witness of a saint, I mean, you can't put a witness of a saint, you know, and have that sort of transmitted, you know, to, to millions. I mean, that's always going to be a one-on-one -on -one kind of interaction. But the, the, the language of reason, if it's done well, can in fact, uh, um, can in fact reach everyone, right? If it's done at the right way and the right, and the, at the right time. Um, and so I think that's one of the reasons too, why we can't be too uh, kind of cavalier in sort of dismissing this as kind of over-intellectualizing the faith or something like that. We need to be involved in the rational sphere as well. Uh, it can't be everything and it isn't the most important thing, but it needs to be there. Could Absolutely. you talk about, Father, apologetics with regard to not winning an argument, but planting a seed? Like, like I think a lot of times, because I, you know, you watch all the stuff on social media, you know, there's a lot of people out there. It turns into like an ego fest. I'm right. You're wrong. I'm smart. You're dumb. You know, like this is how I'm it trad, is. You're not uh, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, it's not about that. It's yeah. I love you and I'm trying to help you. And if and you may not accept this now. Like, it's not about winning an argument, and it's not about me. I've always said this to myself. I've done a lot of things in the church over the, the years. Why am I doing this? I think people have to ask themselves that all the time. Why am I doing this? If I'm not doing it for God, I shouldn't be doing it. Like, and, and it's the same thing. Like, I'm not here to win an argument. I'm here to basically show you something because I love you. And apologetics is that tool, but I think it gets twisted. I mean, it's all over the, the internet. Father Carter Griffin joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Father, we got about uh, three and a half minutes left in the show. Okay, great. Thanks. And Joe, I think that's just a great point. You know, I mean, it's, it, and your point, it, it, it's not about me. Why am I doing this? What you're really saying is in the traditional language of the church, you know, rectifying your intention. And when you enter into an apologetics discussion, let me, let me pray to the Holy Spirit. Let me pray to my guardian angel and help me to rectify my intention. If I'm not doing this because I care about this person, if I'm doing this because I want to get a leg up, because I want to win the argument, whatever, then just sit down. You know, it's the same thing like with the priest when he's giving a tough homily. If you don't love the people you're preaching to, sit down, you know, give them some, give them some dribble, reread the gospel, whatever you have to do, but don't give that homily if you don't love those people, because the truth of the gospel, which is sometimes hard for people to receive because it's hard to, it's hard to carry the cross and it's hard to be a, a, a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we have to recognize that, that we're telling some, we're telling people that, that they're going to have to believe something, that they have to do something and live in a way that will sometimes be difficult. But however difficult it is, it is always more beautiful than it is difficult. So in terms of planting the seed, I think we have to enter into that conversation with a sense of joy, hopefully with a little sense of humor, um, a kind of a humility, um, with confidence as well, and say what we need to say. And if we don't know the answer to something, be humble enough to say, you know what, I don't know, that's a great point. Let's have this conversation again. I'm going to look up a few things, you know, talk to some people and get back to you. Let's explore and find the truth together. And if somebody on the other side is not willing to do that, if they're just want to, if they just want to bludgeon you to death, then I think you can say, well, let's just, just pray for each other or something like that. You know, just like end the conversation. Don't, you don't have to win everything, but maybe just your own humble attitude maybe that's the actual seed that needs to be planted in that conversation, not whatever you know, brilliant insight you're going to say about the truth of the catechism or something like mm -hmm. that. So to be confident, as you said earlier, Joe, that, you know, that the Holy Spirit is the one who really wants to, and he wants to use you and me, all of us as agents, because uh, he's the one who really wants these, these souls to be converted and to walk in the path of, of life. Thank you for that, Father. I, I will say that um, in my life, you know, again, we have to make mistakes. It's the only way we learn. And, and I've done that. I've done that, that try to gotcha conversation and stuff like that. And Joe's always mentioning it. You mentioned it in the beginning of the show. Then you're just that clanging symbol. 
because what you're doing is just trying, like you said, um, win an argument, make a, you know, make a point, show how much smarter than you are than somebody else. And I had to learn that lesson. I've learned so much about, um, from listening to, to, to people like say what you just said, father, um, and listen, you gotta be humble. It's not about winning an argument. If you truly love somebody, you, you can engage with them. You can have a conversation. And like you said, father, if they're going to bludgeon you, if they're going to make fun of you, they're going to belittle you. If you're arguing with an atheist who, who, who thinks he's going to bully you, you could always just say, you know what, let's have a drink. We'll leave that conversation alone. And you, you tried, right? But it's better, obviously, uh, ideal to, to argue with love and charity. Father, we have 30 seconds. Final thoughts for our audience of where they could buy your book. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for this. And thanks for your great show. You know, the, the book can be purchased at the St. Paul Center. Uh, it's a, in a Emmaus Road publisher with Scott Hahn and the, and the crowd there. Uh, and I just, you know, pray for your listeners and I'm praying for all of you guys that, uh, that each of us can be great witnesses and apostles of the beauty of the Catholic faith to a world that is so hungry, so lonely, so anxious for that today. Absolutely. Father Carter Griffin, we want to thank you for being on the front line with Joe and Joe. Everyone go out there, buy the book at St. Paul Center, cross-examine Catholic responses to the world's questions. And we want to thank you all for joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York metropolitan area, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Please be sure to download the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you could have access to all of our station's content. Um, and please, if you don't mind, help Joe, Joe and I out on social media uh, on the Frontline TV, the Frontline TV on YouTube. Like, subscribe, share. That helps us out tremendously. We'd love it if you did that. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.